several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow Well, it's the first Grape Encounters of 2016, and every year around this time, we like to take a look back at the previous year and share with you some of the highlights from the show. On today's show, I've selected four of my favorite interviews from 2015. And though choosing what to include on this Best of Grape Encounters episode was a tough challenge, I think you'll really enjoy this mini retrospective. We begin today's show with an interview that's a real treat. In this segment, I had the opportunity to sit in a hillside Napa Valley vineyard with Ian Cobble, the star of the amazing documentary Psalm. The week before, Sarah Schneider, the wine editor of Sunset Magazine, and I took the Ian Cobble Challenge, wherein we tried to identify six wines sent to us by Ian in a very amusing blind tasting. After listening to Sarah and I doing our best to identify the mystery wines, we asked Ian to grade our performance. I can only tell you, I was extremely nervous about what he might have to say. Give a listen. We are at the Gargiulo Vineyards in Oakville, and Ian, welcome. Well, I'm glad we have a nice setting here. Looking at the beautiful Mayakamas Ranch to the right, we're looking at Screaming Eagle about no 300 kidding, right yards there. in front of us. And to what? the left, I can see Dalavalle up on the ridge, and uh, we're sitting in some of the you know most sought-after vineyard land in the New World, actually. Let me ask you a question. Do you know those guys at Screaming Eagle well enough that we could just kind of go in there and do a really extensive tasting for the rest of the day? No, actually, I don't. You don't? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't. I don't know. We could walk over there and see how it goes, but no. Dude, come on. Let's just walk in. I host a high-profile radio show. You are the best-known psalm in the known world. We knock on the door. They're going to go, wow. Or maybe they're going to say, get out of here. We're closed. Well, it's a little red barn. I don't really think anyone's there. <laughs> you would think for the price of their wines, they could afford something more than that little red barn over there. Oh, I do see a few gunmen, actually, outside standing. <laughs> there's guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's turrets on yeah. the red barn. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny, yeah. It's really, talk about the kind of wines that come from a place like this because we're talking top of the heap, right? Yeah, you know, some of the priciest wines in the valley. This is where this volcanic soil kind of fell onto this little stretch of East Oakville and creates incredibly dense Cabernet, very elegant tannins, and historically some of the most high-scoring of the valley, I would say. This is legendary turf. It is. Definitely everything around this area of Oakville is probably some of the most expensive real estate in the New World. You're kind of an old world guy, though, right? Yeah, you know, I typically drink European wine. I love California. I love Oregon. love Washington. 
Washington. I think Argentina and Chile are doing a great job. New Zealand. It just so happens that I find myself drinking a lot of Rhone reds and Piedmontese reds as well. And a lot of wines from Tuscany. I love white Burgundy. I love Chablis. I love Austrian whites. But I drink everything. I just like fresher styles of wines. And I don't really like wines that have a lot of candied, rich, ripe fruit. Because for me, that is kind of tiring. I don't really like high alcohol wines. I don't really find so much pleasure. And I think it really comes back to I have my own palate and so does everybody else. I just drink what brings me pleasure and we were all born with different DNA and we all find different attributes we like about wine. Some of us like tart, citrus, high acid mineral wines. Some of us like really off dry, sweet, tropical wines and that's okay. We all have something we like. There are no rules here. There are no rules. The wines I used to drink always suggested that I was an old world guy because if you looked at the wines that I was drinking, you would say European. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) 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 Anyway, you got a chance to listen to Sarah and I talking about the Blind Six. For those who didn't get to hear the show, tell them, first of all, what the Blind Six is, because a lot of people may not know what you're doing after the fame and glory of Psalm. So we have a business, Psalm Select. The basis of our business is offering one wine a day. I write a story about a unique place in the world, a small farmer, typically organic or biodynamically grown. And every single day you go to our website, it's a free subscription service. You will actually get an email with a a kind of a presentation telling you how much fruit, how much earth, acid tannin is in the wine, the story about the people, the place, and So a every day I get that? Every day you get that, and you sign up for free at somselect.com. You put in your email, and it's very simple. Another part we started in December is something called the Blind Six. The Blind Six is three whites, three reds. They're wrapped in black paper, numbered one through six, classic wines, right? These are wines that come from a specific place in the world that have a classic expression. So for example, we're not going to give you a Chardonnay from Namibia, okay? Because there's no known classic example and expression of that place that if you can give it to somebody who's been in the wine business, like Oz Clark for 40 years, you're going to have no idea. Where so you're not from. trying to fool us. No, they're classic wines from classic places that are testable examples that if you are training for the master of wine or the master sommelier exam, you could possibly get these wines. These are classic examples of, for example, Chablis or Gruner Veltliner from Austria, Carmenere from Chile, a Malbec from Argentina, made in a classic style, which ideally, depending on when you open the wine, obviously wine right. changes every day, has a classic expression of place. And you should, based on the way it looks, the way it smells, the way it tastes. There's clues in every glass of wine of where it comes from. Now you know that we didn't have time to do that. Right. Actually, we had a total of 20 minutes to do this. How did we do? We, you did we, very well considering really? the time. Yeah, you did very well. So I said that we would have got a D. I think Sarah said you know, B minus. You know, I'm very proud of you. I'd give you a B. I'd give you like a, you know, 80%. Just so you know, if I came home with a B on my report card, my parents would give me extra chores. It they was would. like straight A's or nothing. So a B might as well be a D. Yeah, well, you know, well, you are smiling, right? That's more important than anything. But I had no time to study. Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, we're sitting there. It's like, quick, 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 hurry up. You know what? You're having a good time. I could tell. That trumps everything. That's the thing that I think is the best part about Psalm Select. And it's so amazing because this was my idea before it was yours. And you stole it from me. No, I actually, <laughs> I, I've been telling people for a couple of years now that when you go to a dinner party or something, hide the label. The label is not your friend. Well, I think the greatest part about what we do with the Psalm 6 is you can take it very seriously. You can sit down with six glasses and have a third party pour the wines like you're in an exam setting. But how I say to most consumers, open up a wine and put it in a decanter and serve it as the first course of a dinner party and pour it around the table and talk about it. And don't take it too seriously. Just do you like it or not? How much do you think it costs? Where do you think it's from? You'll discover new wines. Maybe you never knew that you loved Viognier. Maybe you never knew you loved Chenin Blanc from Sauvignon in the Loire Valley. Maybe you had no idea that you were going to become a Burgundy lover for the rest of your life because you've been drinking typical wines. Maybe you drink Napa Valley Cabernet every day, which is no problem. But a lot of people, I think, you know, become used 
used to drinking one wine every time they sit down for dinner. And for me, that's like keeping the same CD in your car for seven years. Amen. Are you getting tired of people handing you a glass of wine and saying, what is it? No, I mean... You get, I, you get that all no, the time, but, though, I mean, don't the, you? What's the worst thing that can happen? I'm wrong. I mean, it's not the worst outcome. What's, Everyone expects you maybe to be right all the time. But I tell people that there's so many different variables with every glass of wine, depending on if it was aged in your car for three hours in the hot summer sun. <laughs> every single wine has a different personality, depending on when it's opened, how it was stored, where it came from, the vintage, what type of yeast it was fermented in, if it was put in new American or new French. I mean, at the end of the day, of course, you want to become a master sommelier, you have to pass this exam. But after that, wine should be fun. And if somebody gives you a glass of wine and it makes you nervous, then you've lost. Okay, you made me nervous a little while ago. You know why? <laughs> why? Because I'm trying to drink this great cab, this fantastic cab produced here on this property, and a fruit fly went in it. And what I would normally do is fish that fruit fly out. And you said no because it ruins the fl- a yeah, fruit there's fly. An enzyme. In? It's yeah, there's f- Yeah, you know, once, you know, that's why I gave you the. There's another glass on the table. Now you finished it, actually. Look at that. You loved it. <laughs> I did love I, I did love it. it. But I kind of want to drink the fruit fly well, one, too. It's, you know, it's right there. There's still a, the fruit fly, actually swimming around in it, actually, literally. So go right ahead. So if I go here and I just swirl this glass and I go... Hmm. It smells totally. I'm getting different. pepper. Yeah. I'm getting. I'm getting. I'm getting fruit fly. Absolutely. Do you know how many fruit flies are probably in every bottle of wine? Well, they grind them up in there. You know. Let's not talk about the uh, <laughs> uglier side of the wine business. So Sarah and I had a, a wonderful time doing this. And I do want to say this. It's a little pitch for you. You're not paying me for this, right? No. Swear. I swear. Cross your heart. Cross my heart. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Double pinky swear. For sure. Okay. You haven't given us a dime, right? No. I sent you six I, I, bottles. Oh, you kind of gave me money. So Kind of, sort of, yeah. I wanted you to have some fun and blind taste. It was so well done. I thought the packaging was absolutely amazing. The way you presented it was so professional, so beautiful, but you owe me a Corvin needle because there was one bottle that had a screw cap and the Corvin, of course, has the needle that goes down through the cork and I shoved it in there and I gave it the little push and I broke it in half. I'm sorry about that. Can you put a warning label? Because Corvin's the best way to do this. Yeah, I think so. I think what we have to do is tell people to maybe touch the top with maybe your finger and make sure it's not metal. Yeah, I didn't think of that. I I never thought you'd send me a screw cap bottle. That brings up a good topic. Screw caps, dude, they're not bad. Screw caps rock. They're great. There's a lot of $100 bottles of wine that are bottled in screw cap. I know, I'm almost over it now. But I'm sorry, I I will definitely, uh, I'll buy you a new needle. You will? (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll send it to you right away. I I already got a new needle. Send send me something. Send me a bottle of Screaming Eagle. No problem. All right, I just need one thing from you. Just one thing and we're going to go. Yes. You just need to repeat after me. David and Sarah got an A minus. It's for my parents. It's not for. Um, it's not going to air. Okay. What if I say like a like a three point one A minus? <laughs> Sarah and David got an A minus. <laughs> All right, we'll be back with more grape encounters right after this. We like to talk about wine. The hottest gift for wine enthusiasts is the next generation of the most amazing wine accessory ever created. Whether it's a gift for the wine lover in your life or a reward for yourself, nothing can improve wine enjoyment like the astounding Corvin Model 2, which allows wine to be poured from an unopened bottle. Find out why the Corvin Model 2 is so revolutionary at GrapeEncounters.com. We have the new Corvins in stock at Grape, like the fruit, Encounters, like CloseEncounters.com. 
Grave Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero, the gateway to good times, at visitatascadero.com. Every year at this time, more and more people discover the amazing Portuguese dessert wines meticulously handcrafted by Manzanita Manor. They're called Two Horse because these incomparable wines are made from grapes grown in a remote vineyard that's actually plowed by real horses, not simply horsepower. Made from the finest Portuguese varietals, these port-style wines are like nothing you've ever tasted. Decadent, but not over-the-top sweet. Refined, but in no way pretentious or stuffy. In households across America, Two Horse Vineyard dessert wines have become an extraordinary holiday tradition. Kind of like the exclamation point at the end of a perfect meal. If you've not yet experienced the astonishing Two Horse Wines, get yours online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. What's the best way to make your holiday memorable? Well, Two Horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. Like a bottle of red wine, I'll warm you up. Like a bottle of wine, I'll make you feel so fine, if you'll be mine. Welcome back to Grape Encounters. In this next segment, we get into one of my favorite Grape Encounters topics, blending your own wine. It's a concept that's taboo with a lot of winemakers, but not with my next guest, whose wines have been a prime ingredient in some of my most popular blends. He's a rock star winemaker whose name is associated with some of America's most popular wines. He consults all over the world, and I was so delighted and nervous about having him in the studio to experience one of my signature blends firsthand. Listen to what happens when I prepare this blend for him on the air. I recently got to share one of my blends with a winemaker who makes some absolutely stunning wines. He works with some very big labels, but he's got his own label. And he's got a Merlot that will make you think that you've died and gone to heaven. It is so absolutely delicious. His name is Adam Lazar, and he tasted one of my blends. I'm going to make a blend for him today because I was surprised when Adam said, you know what, it's okay, you can blend with my wine anytime. You didn't have a problem, Adam, and welcome to Grape Encounters. Hey, thank you, David. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you know what, you bought the wine, you can do anything you want with it. I can. I can can bathe in it. Only if you send photos. (laughs) You don't want that. (laughs) All right. So let's talk just a minute about blending in. And while we're doing this, I'm going to actually make you the Bordello blend. That would be fabulous. Do you want to visit a Bordello with me? Could we? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. I'm going to start with your Merlot, but just talk about blending and why it's become so incredibly popular in the really very recent history. Because 10 years ago, you didn't see the number of blends on the shelf that you do now. That's interesting that you say that. Blending has been going on for centuries now in France and many 
many of the old world countries, you've got a number of different grape varieties that are planted in the same vineyard, particularly France, where you get field blends. You get a number of different types of grape varieties that are all crushed together. And uh, technically, it's a blend, although the wines are made as one. Winemakers have been blending for a long time. It's just only recently have people been interested in what I put inside my Cabernet. I mean, if it says Cabernet on the label, technically, it only has to be 75% Cabernet. I, for one, love putting Merlot, Cabernet Franc, and I often don't talk about it. But people have become very aware of blends. It's Adam's dirty little it's secret. It's Adam's dirty little secret. Oh, I've got a bunch of By the of way, them. I just put your Merlot, and I put your wine in first. I can see. It's and beautiful. I'm using all the right tools, right? Graduated cylinders, the whole thing here. Well, the fact that they're clean disturbs me a little That's bit. Good. This Cabernet, by the way, that I'm going to use is a Chilean cab from Santa Carolina. Mm-hmm. This is a great example of a really good cab that you can buy for under $30. No, and I think it's a fantastic cab. Feel how heavy this bottle is, huh? 15 pounds, what the (laughs) hell? I think it's a great wine. For me, the Santa Carolina has a beautiful little Chilean herbal thread over the top. It's got structure, raspberry and cherries. And I think it's really a pure example of really good cab from Chile. So going back to the blending for a second, though, what do you think about people blending at home? You probably do it. Oh, yeah. You know what? You can catch me in a restaurant anytime. If I have two bottles on the table, I'll often put the two together to see if I can make a better wine. All that noise back here. I'm pulling corks and other bottles. Yeah, it's one of the most beautiful sounds in the world. I know. But the thing that I think is remarkable is that you really can go into a restaurant and like order three glasses of wine and do a little blending and come up with two nice healthy glasses of wine. You know, if you're at a restaurant that's got a sommelier and it's pretty expensive, they probably frown upon that. But You, you know, know what they really frown upon is I'll say to them, uh, can I just have a little taste of your petite Verdot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they have to open a Into fresh bottle glass. for you. Yeah, no, they never take that taste glass away. Okay, we're going now to Argentina. Okay. To Phyllis. Ah, Malbec. A really nice little Malbec. It retails for around $22, even under that. Mm -hmm. And we're adding that in. So, so far, what we have here are three Bordeaux varietals coming from three different countries. You know what? I think that's going to make it even more interesting. That's what makes it so much fun because there are different styles of winemaking going on there. Yep. No, the blend is, is really the key. The two most important things in winemaking is really when you pick your grapes, exactly getting the right flavors. It's very rare that you make a complete wine in one shot. And so... Oftentimes, even if you make your Cabernet in two different lots and two different styles with different oak, you have two different blending components. It might all be Cabernet, but having the luxury in a winery of having different blending components is important because at the end of the day, you don't want your wine to taste like everybody else in the neighborhood. And also, you want it to taste good. I mean, mean, isn't it like going to Starbucks in a way? You go to Starbucks, not everybody wants the same cup of coffee, right? Somebody wants soy. Somebody wants nonfat. Somebody wants half-calf, half-decaf. We customize at Starbucks. Why not do the very same thing with wine? And by the way, Starbucks is going to start carrying wine in most of their stores, so I wonder if they'll let us do that, huh? Wouldn't that be nice? All right, I'm pouring in a Zinfandel now. Is this a sin to pour Zin into what now is currently a Bordeaux blend? Nope. Why not? Because if it tastes good, that's all that matters. Uh, So you're just saying it's sort of like the if it feels good, do it idea with wine. Well, the feel good, do it can get you arrested. In actuality, you're putting a wine that has a lot of raspberry and mouthfeel into a wine that already has a lot of dark fruit and tannins. And the, the final blend may be absolutely fabulous. And now you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something that I thought would 
be unheard of, but maybe not so It much. is not as unheard of I'm, as you tell think. Tell him what I'm putting in the wine now. Getting, okay? uh, he's, David is getting ready to pour a little port uh, made from uh, three of the traditional Portuguese varieties into it, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that in the blend. You add a little sweetness, a little fatness to the wine, and viola, I or forgot, voila, or I forgot something to stir with. Um, no, I'm I, not going to, I'm not I'm, sticking my finger in yeah, there. I've got, got a, a pen. pen here. All right. We're uh, gonna, you don't mind, do you? The wine kills the germs, Just right? as long as the cap's All right, not get your glass it. over here and really right. quickly tell the listeners maybe some simple guidelines if they want to do some blending at home. Yeah, well, you and know I'm what? I'm pouring you a glass of, bo- boy, that was a, <laughs> that was a, that's made, a healthy I a, pour. I made a big batch. I got to come to your restaurant. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Oh man, that smells great. Absolutely beautiful. You know, the, the, the guidelines are you familiarize yourself with each of the individual wines you want to blend. Everyone has a strength. If it has a very strong four palate of fruit, uh, try something that's got a good mid palate or something that's got a great finish. There is always a hole that you can fill with a wine. Get it in balance to your taste. Get it in too, balance right? to your taste. If Not everyone has the if, same if you palate. If you love a wine but it's a little too tannic for you, then soften it up. Soften it up with something a little that merlot, have as much. a little yeah, a little zin maybe. A lazar merlot though. If it's a little too acidic, then what? Oh, then you can soften it up with something with got lower acid. Uh, certain Syrahs, perhaps, or even a little port. Little port. Little port. All right, rate my wine. Oh man. Should I uh, have a really snobby um, develop that accent? And well, if you want to, yeah, uh, be truthful. Do you have a censor button? Ah, <laughs> why? <laughs> it, it is absolutely. That, that I was bad? gonna. It was absolutely effing fantastic. Really? Yeah, it's really really good. Got a lot of dark fruit. It's lush. I mean, a huge lush mouthfeel. There's a tiny bit of sweetness on the back end, which I think is really pleasant. It's a complete wine from start to finish. It tastes almost seamless. Good acid uh, lifts the fruit in the back end, uh, wraps around your tongue. I mean, I'd, I'd drink this at dinner. It'd be a fabulous steak wine. It's like a Black cherry Jolly Rancher candy. It's just got this richness and fruit-driven right, man. yumminess. Praise from Caesar is Hello. praise indeed. Hey, tell us really quickly about some of the big-name brands that you work with. Oh, yeah, yeah. My day job, and the one that actually pays money as opposed to making Lazar wines, I'm a director of winemaking for the Wine Hooligans. It's a uh, big startup out of Santa Rosa. And I oversee Cycles Gladiator. It was a brand I started at Han uh, 11 years Very ago. Very well-known brand. And Yeah, and, and we just bought it from Han uh, this last year, so I'm back making that wine. You got your baby back. Man, that is so awesome. Adam Lazar of Lazar Wines, or Lazar the Wine God. You can get the Lazar Wines at the Grape Encounters Emporium in Atascadero, California, or you can go online to lazarwines.com. That's going to do it for this little visit with Adam. I appreciate it so much. Oh, th- I'm thrilled to be All here, right, really. we got a little commercial break. I think we can just get through this glass of Bordello in time for the next segment. I'm, I'm working on it. You're having a grape encounter with David Wilson. How Merlot can you go? We like to talk about wine. Living in and broadcasting from one of the world's finest wine regions makes it virtually impossible not to make frequent references to the multitude of amazing things going on here on the central coast of California. Grape Encounters Radio has built one of the world's most unique wine bars so that you can have the opportunity to come to the city of Atascadero and enjoy great wines and equally good conversation with me and other visitors. Best of all, my favorite hotel in the area is literally right across the street, the historic Carlton Hotel with accommodations that are both beautiful and affordable. 
The Carlton Hotel takes you back to a glorious time in California history. And now that the wine industry has ushered in yet another exciting new chapter here on the Central Coast, you can experience the best of then and now. Book your accommodations at the lovingly restored Carlton Hotel in Atascadero. Then, let me help you plan daily excursions that will create a lifetime of unforgettable memories. You'll find a link to the Carlton Hotel at GrapeEncounters.com. Grape Encounters Radio is always on the lookout for great story ideas, even if they're completely and totally off the wall. So here's the deal. Share your story ideas with me or send a question you'd like to hear answered on the show. If I use your question or suggestion, I'll send you a special gift. I want to know what you want to know. You can contact me on the Grape Encounters Radio group page on Facebook or email david at grapeencountersradio.com. If you've got something for me, I've got something for you. The hottest gift for wine enthusiasts is the next generation of the most amazing wine accessory ever created. Whether it's a gift for the wine lover in your life or a reward for yourself, nothing can improve wine enjoyment like the astounding Corvin Model 2, which allows wine to be poured from an unopened bottle. Find out why the Corvin Model 2 is so revolutionary at GrapeEncounters.com. We have the new Corvins in stock at Grape, like the fruit, Encounters, like CloseEncounters.com. Listening to the best of grape encounters from 2015. And now it's my favorite episode of Sipping with Sarah. Sarah Schneider, the esteemed wine editor from Sunset Magazine, one of America's leading lifestyle publications. All right, we are back with Grape Encounters Radio, and sitting here in the studio with me today is Sarah Schneider. How long have we been doing this together now? Has it been two years? It's been like two years now. Goodness. Isn't that fantastic? That is fantastic. We're growing old together. (laughs) And what better way to grow old together than to drink a lot of wine in the process? It means we're being preserved together. From the inside out, which is always a good way to do it, yeah. So I wanted to talk today about wine education, because there was a time when nobody had a clue what the word sommelier even meant. Or could say it. And I say sommelier. I don't know. What What do you say? I, I say sommelier. I think you're closer to the original French. <laughs> I always just say som, and then I'm feeling ill, and then yay, hooray, hooray. And it works. <laughs> sommelier, nobody will fault you for it. There you go. There's the trick. Anyway, what I was fascinated with was I read an article talking about the fact that there were 19 people who passed the recent Master of Wine final exam. That's an amazingly big number. It's a big number, but when you think about it, it's also a small number when you consider tens of millions of people are really hardcore wine enthusiasts and how few really have a solid education in wine. That's true. In fact... Does this number push it over 200 in the whole world? I don't know. Masters of Wine. No, there are a few more Masters of Wine than Master Psalms. Yes. Um, so it's probably somewhere in the 200s, but that's worldwide. What's interesting is that the people who seem to really be going after this kind of certification, they're young. And we're talking about 
a profession that for ages, I mean, certainly as long as you and I've been alive, has been considered to be one of the most pretentious, stuffy professions that you can be in. And now sommeliers and wine experts, and by the way, sommelier means wine expert, just so you know, they are becoming as big a rock stars as these really amazing chefs that have been coming onto the scene now for the past couple of decades. That's true. And because the interest is getting younger, I think it's very much helping to move that needle from that pretentious older man's arena to the young interest. I mean, millennials are very interested in wine detail now. And they love doing it. And I find it very interesting that at our shop, the Grape Encounters Emporium, we have frequently now had people coming in who are studying for their sommelier exams, and they want us to pour wines based on a certain set of criteria (laughs) in the blind and then test them. Interesting. Because they want to be on completely neutral turf, and they don't want any chance of getting any hints or clues about these wines. Mm -hmm. They'll say, pour us six wines in the blind, and they need to be in these categories, and it could be 20 categories or whatever. But they love doing that. We love doing that. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, this whole idea of drinking wine in the blind is a very good idea because, you know, first decide whether you like it and then figure out what it is. Figure out what it is. And for both of those professional tracks, the Master of Wine and the Master Sommelier, they have to do a ton of tasting blind just to develop to the level of the deductive reasoning that will get them through that final tasting test. So it's not just academic knowledge. It's that sensory astuteness. And from what I hear from friends who have worked toward either of those, they just can't get enough tasting. I made this observation just last week, and it's not an observation I had really made before. It goes like this. I have people who are sommelier candidates that come in and they know they can count on me to just pour them a wine and not tell them what it is. What's fascinating is that I would say 75 at least percent of the time, they will blurt out an answer. They'll say, I think it's this, this or whatever. And I'll just listen to them. And then they'll kind of narrow it down to two or three possibilities. But then they don't go with their first possibility. (laughs) They overthink it. They overthink it and they get it wrong. And right out of the chute, they taste it. They go, oh, that's a whatever it is. No, wait a second. Wait a second. Let me think here. No, it couldn't be that. It's got to be this. And then they'll go through like this laundry list of things, (laughs) all of which are wrong. They had it right the first time. And that's happened so many times, I can't even tell you. They don't trust themselves. That is a lesson I learned. So I am not on either of those tracks, but I have passed the introductory level for the Master Psalm program. I mean, I would like to pat myself on the back for that, but anybody could do it. You take a weekend of classes and they tell you what they're going to test you on, and then they test you. It doesn't have a tasting component. But during the classwork over the weekend, we did a series of blind tastings, and we each had to... To talk about some part of the wine as we were learning this deductive tasting. Um, yeah. And the master psalms who were our instructors, the thing they said the most to the novice that we were coming to this as they were going through their thought process, the instructors kept saying, don't overthink it, 
Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. It was really interesting. That's an important point to remember if you're taking the exam because they really aren't trying to fool you. Right. That's a very important thing to remember. If you're taking that exam, nobody's trying to foul you up. If anything, they're probably going to pour for you wines that are very true to that varietal character. Classic versions. Yes, exactly. Of, of those grapes worldwide. Yeah, but you've got to follow your instincts. Oh, by the way, did you notice in front of you, Sarah, what in the world a glass of wine Goodness, showed up? you've poured me a glass of red wine. Let's see how much you can overthink this. <laughs> I'm guilty of a lot okay, of overthinking. Ahead. This okay. isn't a test, but this is a little aside. We're taking a breather here while Sarah sniffs. <laughs> swirls. I love the fact that you actually can swirl your glass without swirling the microphone. <laughs> it might be all down my top here, but okay. I, the microphone <laughs> well, is clean. All right. It's radio, not TV. Oh, that is a very delicious wine, by the way. It is a lush red wine. It has a plush mouthfeel with a spiciness under that red fruit. Are we in Zinfandel territory? I think you're in Zinfandel land. Actually, not just territory. Yeah. Okay. It's ripe. Well, Zinfandel itself suggests California. And that would be correct as well. So Napa Sonoma area, Lodi. Mendocino, Temecula, Central Coast. As you name those regions, I'm thinking in terms of ripeness and alcohol levels. Yes. But I'm guessing that you might be surprising me here. Um, Sarah, don't overthink it. <laughs> I'm going to go with Lodi. You'd be wrong. You overthought it. I overthought it. Yeah. Next choice. My next choice, Sierra Foothills. Wrong. Oh, you've got me. Three strikes rule. Three strikes rule. Last chance. Another sip. Any excuse to get another sip? That's the funny part. Mendocino. You're going to wine jail for a very long time, Sarah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Central Coast. Central Coast Zinfandel. It's Central Coast. And it is actually Central Coast and the winemaker. You should be familiar with this winemaker a little bit because last year I brought you a bottle of his prior vintage. It's St. Hilaire. Now, I don't love his label too much, but I do love his wines. And I remember loving this last time. You had the My 2012. This is the 2013, 13. which I frankly think turned out better than the 2012. I mean, this is a really, really baby wine that's only been in the bottle for a very short period of time. This is not a shy wine. So this I, is not so, a shy so one. Here, here's my defense of my reasoning. Um, of your Riesling? My, my Riesling. Okay. I can always defend my Rieslings. I have my Rieslings. It struck me as having a fairly high alcohol level, according to the label it does. And so I was thinking of warmer places, although Paso Robles is a fairly warm place. So I was overthinking it. This wine is actually pushing alcohol-wise 16%. I think, what has he got it listed here? Listed at 15.8. 15.8, yeah, pushing yeah. 16%. And the government allows you a little wiggle room where right. alcohol is concerned. So that could be over 16. It could be over 16. So it's pretty potent, although I think it disguises the alcohol pretty well. Quite well balanced. But I think yeah. a really excellent expression of what a Zinfandel should taste like. This is not a wine to fool you. And it's not... Some big jammy mouthful of Welch's grape jelly. I think it's really got some elegance to it, I think, It, it is an elegant wine. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so going back to the idea of becoming a psalm and taking those exams, I would say this. Unless you intend to work in the industry, your time might be better spent reading everything you can possibly read and subscribing to a few of the really good magazines. There's a lot of information out there. If you want to become somebody who's making a living in the wine industry, you probably will have to become a psalm if you're going to be talking 
stocking up wines. But no point in doing that if it's just for your own personal satisfaction, because you could spend the same amount of time learning stuff that's really going to be valuable to you as a layperson. Right. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And I think that it's good to know that besides those two sort of top examples of wine programs for professionals, there is just a whole maze of different wine education courses and programs. But for the layperson in most urban centers, you can take a series of classes. There's a lot of rich material out there. I think more than anything, it helps you find other wines that you're going to love as much as the wines that you're used right, to loving. Right. So the end of the story is, if you don't need it, don't do it. But if you just want to do it for fun and you got a lot of time on your hands, that's great too. Why not? Ah, heck, you know what? We got our own shtick and we teach that to our listeners and readers. <laughs> what more could you want? We're good. All right. You know what you could want? More Grape Encounters. And we've got more coming your way right after these important messages. Grape Encounters will continue shortly. If you're near a computer or have your smartphone in hand, join our Facebook group page by searching for GrapeEncountersRadio.com. David will return after these enlightening messages. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link at GrapeEncounters.com. A wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. Every year at this time, more and more people discover the amazing Portuguese dessert wines meticulously handcrafted by Manzanita Manor. They're called Two Horse because these incomparable wines are made from grapes grown in a remote vineyard that's actually plowed by real horses, not simply horsepower. Made from the finest Portuguese varietals, these port-style wines are like nothing you've ever tasted. Decadent, but not over-the-top sweet. Refined, but in no way pretentious or stuffy. In households across America, two-horse vineyard dessert wines have become an extraordinary holiday tradition. Kind of like the exclamation point at the end of a perfect meal. If you've not yet experienced the astonishing two-horse wines, get yours online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. What's the best way to make your holiday memorable? Well, two-horse, of course. He's back, and he's not alone. Your Grape Encounter continues with David Wilson and a little help from his friends. If I could make my dreams into movies, I'd get a picture deal and put them on the big screen in color. Well, we have time for one final segment of our Best of Grape Encounters 2015. This last segment is particularly personal to me because in radio, like all media... You never quite know what impact you're having on your audience. 
Well, a few months ago, I learned about a listener who had a life-changing experience because of our show. And when you hear the whole story, I think you'll agree that it's purely amazing. It all began when I got a message from a colleague who hosts another wine radio program in Southern California. Rather than spoiling the surprise, I'll simply take you back to an interview that took place in our studios a few months ago. Here we go. There's a guy named Leroy Guilford who has a terrific show with just exuberance coming out of every pore. And he had contacted me and asked me if I would be willing to come on his show to talk about my experiences in the Finger Lakes because, as you all know, I love to talk about the Finger Lakes. And during our conversations, he told me something extraordinary. He told me the story of a man who was a really big deal at Disney. In fact, he was the VP of post-production services for basically decades or close to it and then decided that he was going to get into winemaking and give up a career that probably paid, well, you know, what's that pay? A hundred billion a year or something like that, but a really high paying job for one of the worst paying jobs on planet Earth. And so Leroy sent me this interview that he did with this guy and I thought it was fascinating, except there was one little cat that shocked me like nothing has ever shocked me before. And I want to now introduce to you the subject of that interview by Leroy. It's Gil Ganyan. And you had a big position at Disney, right? Tell me about it. Yeah, well, I oversaw just anything that was kind of creative and technical for lots of big feature films or even lots of big TV shows and just a lot of people that fell under my umbrella all around. Were you a wine lover? Absolutely. Big time. Yeah. And reds, right? Yes. Basically reds. Yeah. Yeah. But that's only a little teeny part of the story, right? Right. Because here you are, you know, you're living in Calabasas, California at the time, which is kind of at the, let's say, north end of Los Angeles. And you're going into the Burbank Studios where Disney is. And as the crow flies, not a long distance. As the BMW travels, it's a bit longer. How long? Uh, it's about 20 miles. But, you know, when you're in L.A. and you're driving down that 101 freeway, it's an hour. Yeah, on a good day. On a good day each way. <laughs> and if it's slightly misting and your windshield wipers have to move maybe once within that hour, you can probably double it. So you told my colleague that you calculated that you had spent during the time that you worked for Disney, how many hours behind the wheel? Well, I worked for Disney for about 11 years and I worked in Hollywood at another company owned by Kodak for about 10 years before that. So in round numbers, after 20 years of commuting in that LA traffic, it's the equivalent of having a full-time job for six years. You spent six years of your life behind the wheel. Sniffing exhaust, yes. And talking on the cell phone. Yeah, as much as I could, but I actually tried to entertain myself by other ways. And how and, did you do that? You know, I was fortunate enough that early on in your show, I found your episodes and I would download them to my phone and my uh, iPod and I would sit there and it would make that hour so much more enjoyable and productive. And I started listening to your show religiously. I would listen to it over and over on the way to work. So did you wear a habit while you listen to my show? You said you listen to it religiously. Well, you know, uh, you I was in the film business, so I probably could <laughs> okay, never wear right. that. <laughs> all right. So you're listening to Grave Encounters. And I mean, that alone, when I heard that much of the story, that meant so much to me because, you know, so often when you're in the radio business, and I've been doing it for quite a while now, and Grape Encounters alone seven years, that's a long time. But one thing that a lot of people don't, I think, 
often realize is that when you're in radio, whether it's live, whether it's pre-recorded, you're just sitting in a box. You don't see people. You know, we don't have live audiences unless we go out and we do a live show. So you don't really get to know as much as you would like to the people who are listening to your show. It's just not an option until you go out and you do a live event and people come up and say, oh, I love your show. I listen to your show. But I'll let you finish the story because this is where it gives me goosebumps. It might be one of the proudest moments of my Grape Encounters career, if not any career. Well, first off, I want to say thank you for having me too. I I am just thrilled to be here and to finally meet you in person because it really has been long overdue. So way back when, and that was probably close to five years ago, I was sitting there going back and forth in that LA traffic and you did an episode that really resonated with me. It was you and Wes Hagen and you guys talked about, yes, you too can be a winemaker. One of Dave Wilson's rants. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think back in the day, it would be pretty hard to top you and Wes together. Ranting, yes. We still rant to this day. But anyway, so we're going on and I remember the episode, episode number 44 back in May of 2010, right? Right. Wow. Yeah, I I remember that episode vividly. I listened to it and uh, it really – listening to your show was like going to school for me because when I started getting into wine, I started thinking about this and I did a lot of the usual things where I started taking classes at UC Davis to learn more about it and you know you can learn so much from a book and from doing those things but I personally believe you learn more from people and yeah. I learned so much from your show and listening to all the different guests so what'd you do well I put pen to paper and started calculating all the little things that you guys talked about the different components that go into a bottle of wine and what those things might cost and I penciled it out and I came to that conclusion as you stated yes I can do this I can I can make the wines so I I went and I took the plunge and decided I would follow my passion and see what I could do. But here's an important question because you're working for a major, major studio. So I would presume that as a VP of the studio, and I'm not asking you what you made, but you made a decent living, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you made a decent living. Now, people who are listening right now don't necessarily make that kind of money, but were you frugal in the beginning as you got into this? And is it your opinion that had you been working at a sandwich shop that you could have still got into it some way and made credible wine? I guess the answer is yes. I wanted to make sure that, and again, we're still very small and I wanted to make sure I was learning as I went through the process. So that way I knew if I was going to make a mistake, I would not make a big one. So absolutely, I kept all the costs under control and I set aside a budget that I stuck to and it really worked out and it paid off. But the bottom line is you were a religious listener to the show, but you heard this segment where you heard a guy like Wes Hagen and you also heard people like Keith Sarlos talk about how they gave up other kinds of careers to get into winemaking and never turned back and were making awesome wine and you decided you could do it and you took our advice. I know, as crazy as it sounds. Well, I wish we had the time to play the entire interview, but alas, it's time to put a cork in it for this week. If you want to hear this episode in its entirety or anything else we've talked about on the show, we've got every single episode online at GrapeEncounters.com. In the meantime, have an awesome new year, and we look forward to sharing the fun side of wine with you each and every week right here on Grape Encounters Radio. We'll talk to you next week.